It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Welcome to this episode of Kennedy Saves the World. And we really do have to save the world because it has become such a harsh, unforgiving, othering, and uncivil place. When did we lose touch with things like humility and grace and civility? When did we stop learning how to be nice to each other? Uh, and civility is much more than politeness, as I have learned from this brand new book, The Soul of Civility, Timeless Principles to Heal Society and Ourselves. Alexandra Hudson is here. She's the authoress. Welcome to Kennedy Saves the World. Thank you for having me, Kennedy. And I love that you live in Indiana. I do. Yes. Very much so. <laughs> yeah. And and where are you from? You're from the East Coast, right? From Los Angeles originally, raised really? in Vancouver, Canada. But wow. um, uh, I'm a refugee from federal government. Uh -huh. And it was my decision to move to Indiana. I, I came home in despair one day. It was a partic particularly trying day in federal bureaucracy. Yeah. And I said to my husband, who's from Indiana, let's go. I'm done. And he goes, great. Let's do it. No yeah. take backs. And a few months later, we were there. So yeah. that was five and years it, ago. It's really nice raising your kids around it is Midwesterners. So true. It is so true. Midwesterners are different. They are. Like, my parents are both Midwesterners. And, it, you know, it's like showing up with a casserole. It's, just, <laughs> it's, it's in you. It's, you, don't, it, it, you don't even think about it. You, it. It's not as though you're doing something heroic for someone. It's like, oh, no, you're sick. Here's a casserole. A friend of mine, a, a classmate of my husband's at Yale Law School, just moved to Chicago. So, mm -hmm. like, also Midwest, technically. And she had a baby. And right after she moved to the suburbs of Chicago, and it was like a revolving door of neighbors knocking on the door, welcoming them to the neighborhood, bringing them meals, bringing them cookies. And she mm -hmm. was so perplexed as this, like, you know, are they East trying Coast to set me up? What she, do they want she's from like, me? She's like, what is going Distrustful. on here? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> That's really funny. It's very funny. Yeah. But then you realize like, oh, no, people are just decent and kind. And, right. And, and they care. This is what neighbors do. And they want you to be their neighbor. Like, they, they want you to be a part of their fold. We've lost touch with that. I, you know, it's like, this is a very profound week for your book to come out, considering what is happening in Israel and people's reactions to it and people's mm -hmm. rationalizations for it. So you make a, a really important distinction in your book between politeness, which people tend to mistake politeness with civility, mm -hmm. but civility is something much deeper. Mm -hmm. Are we broken past the point of repair in terms of our civility, our civil discourse, and ability to deal with people we disagree with? I don't think so. And I have hope because the Midwest gave me hope. Yeah. I, I discovered firsthand after I left government that there's this quiet revolution, this this this, this front porch revolution mm -hmm. happening that's healing our country, reviving uh, civility, which is a basic respect for the personhood and, and dignity of others. And as you noted, it's different from mere politeness, mm -hmm. which is just etiquette. It's technique. It's, it's manners. Mm -hmm. One of my first friends when I moved to Indiana from D.C. was named Joanna Taft. And she came up to me one day and said, hi, I'm Joanna. Would you like to porch with us sometime? Mm -hmm. And she invited us to her front porch where she had curated people across race, across politics, uh, across geography mm -hmm. in town. And we just inhabited a shared space and had conversation about non-political things. But that built trust to then have conversation about 
about more controversial, more sensitive things. Mm-hmm. And that's really what is missing in our in our public life right now, a basic respect, a basic affection, especially across difference. All we see is the difference and all we talk about is the difference. And we don't have time uh, and, and, and have space in our lives for, for non-political times just to, you know, shoot the breeze together as neighbors, as fellow citizens. And that's, that's part of the problem. So being from Indiana, I can tell you the porching also takes place on pontoons there you go so there you can you can can porch on a pontoon right it's like a floating porch (laughs) so it's like i i grew up in lake life in indiana where and i still go once a year and take my girls back because i want them to know that sense of where they're from and how people treat each other Mm -hmm. and you know it's like you wave at every single person who drives by you wave at every single pedestrian that you see Mm -hmm. even if you don't know them it's like Hi, how are you? And and it's it's a foreign concept, you know. In on the West Coast, people are in their cars; they're separated mm-hmm. from each other and from humanity a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. And as you point out in the book, we used to be a front porch society. Mm-hmm. We used to be a come visit, mm-hmm. like come sit down. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like have some iced tea and and let's let's talk about mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. And and then it it shifted into a patio culture. That's right. Yeah, that's where, exactly right. And, it's like I love the patio. I love barbecuing. I love being with family. But it is very insular. It, it's 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 something that takes place in a bubble away from everyone else. And we have created so many bubbles, thinking that we're insulating ourselves right. and doing ourselves a favor, but we're really losing touch with each other. Mm-hmm. And that's what's so radical about the front porch, as you noted. Over the last one hundred years, uh, this architectural shift of the front porch that symbolized other orientedness and communities slowly moved around over a hundred years to the back patio that's Mm. fenced in. It's curated. You're not just waving hi to strangers and neighbors. It's just family and friends who you want there. Uh, and your that, tribe. That's right, your tribe. Because if they're not on your tribe, Mm -hmm. why be they're the other. Yeah, Yeah. and and they, they mean you harm. Mm -hmm. And so that's, what's great about Joanna reclaiming the porch and really reclaiming her agency um, to, to be a part of the solution. She recognizes that, you know, the tragedy is happening in the, in the Middle East right now and in, in Israel. She can't control that. She can't mm-hmm. control who's in the White House. She can't control the divisive rhetoric in our presidential election. That's only going to get worse. But she can make her community better and stronger and, and more unified. And she's choosing to do so do so in the small ways yeah. by just every every Sunday after after church, just, just having uh, a shared space for community to incubate that social trust, that social capital that is so fragmented and has been depleted in recent decades. I mean, Cracker Barrel does that. Like, you <laughs> You drive up to a Cracker Barrel. My husband's grandparents like, love Cracker Barrel. I, I love Cracker Barrel so much. Like, if I, I see that. a Cracker Barrel. I, I just knew you, and I said, Kennedy's a Cracker Barrel Absolutely. Person. I mean, I have a Cracker Barrel order, and I, I believe that everyone... If, what if is it? You what is your Cracker you Barrel order? It, uh, it's, you know, the substantial ham, <laughs> a plain baked potato, and a double order of green beans. We drive by everywhere in the Midwest. There are these billboards for Cracker Barrel, yeah. and it's this amorphous substance on a white plate. Like, you have no idea. It's like a, a light... Could it be a biscuit? Could it could it be, be pork, potatoes? and it could be mashed potatoes. Yeah. It could be rice. Like it's it's kind of grainy, but it's like, why is that their advertising? So I don't know. But because it's you like- know, <laughs> if it's in your order, you know how it tastes, and then you have a craving. That's like, right. Yeah, I want biscuits and gravy. It's a Rorschach test. Right there now. you go. It's marketing genius. It's yeah. whatever you want it to be. You exactly right. Like, That's what I need. That yeah. amorphous. Because there's there's a good <laughs> chance that in your cracker barrel order, that thing exists in your brain, and your brain is tied to your stomach, and they're like. 
And then you play the little game with the, the no the hopscotch. Golf tees. The, yeah. Yes, exactly. I forget what it's called. And that is kind of a front porch culture. You're absolutely right. Like they have those rocking chairs. They have the rocking chairs. <laughs> They're trying to bring and back. And it's so folksy. Because the, the you little... look at the rocking chairs. You're like, I want a life. We crave I've got that. a couple rocking chairs. We crave that. At, at, at its core, even when you're in a big city, a big like you know international cosmopolitan city like New York. At core, all we want in life as human beings is to be seen and known and loved. Mm. And that's what the porch gives you. And even in a big city, we crave that, which is why we, we carve out our little niche, our yeah. little our little communities of, you know, our Equinox membership and our, our social clubs and our friends and our just like rituals because we need that. We want we want those rituals and we want that community. Um, and it, maybe you have to work a little bit harder in New York to find it. And yeah. it's not if it can feel at first a little bit unwelcoming. Uh, I've heard. Have you heard that New York is is not polite, but it's civil and California is is not civil, but more polite. Yeah, for have sure. <laughs> Have you I mean, I've lived that? in both places yeah. a long time. So, yes, I, I know them both very, very well. And it used to be New York is the book, L.A. is the movie. Hmm. And I once told Aaron Spelling that when I was interviewing him. Mm. He was like, ah, ha, ha, I he wish I had thought of that. <laughs> yeah, he thought that that was amazing. But... It's true. And so my friends that I have who are from the Midwest in mm-hmm. L.A., they don't understand mm. that the people are, like, freaked out when you talk to them. Mm. Because when you say hi to someone, they're like, what do you want from me? Mm-hmm. You know, there's mm-hmm. still that, uh, like, I'll smile at you mm-hmm. and I'll be polite, but I don't. I really don't want to talk to you. Right. It's a defense mechanism. Absolutely. So um, uh, one, one scholar of, of manners said that um, manners are a society's means of protecting themselves from others, mm-hmm. like, for, from, from the other. And that's yeah. what politeness can do. It can be this mechanism of division and distancing and and civility again um can seem impolite and sometimes again civility is about respect it's a disposition of actually respecting others whereas politeness is technique it's manners it's etiquette it's Mm -hmm. external and that sometimes actually respecting someone requires being impolite being civil sometimes requires impoliteness, actually yeah. telling a hard truth, engaging in robust debate. And, and also, you know, setting boundaries. That's right. That's exactly right. Saying no to people. Mm-hmm. We're deeply, dis- we, we're, we're fearful of disappointing people. Yes. And, and we don't we're want so to feel rude. We're so conditioned not to Yes, exactly. But if we resent others, that's, and then we resent ourselves. Like, oh, why did I commit to that when yeah. I'm already ex- overextended? That's not good for the relationship or like the other or self. You know what gives me hope in, uh, in humanity and especially in New York? People have dogs. Okay. <laughs> so people have dogs. Dogs are good. They're good for the soul. They, they are. are very good for the soul. So are kids. <laughs> yes, kids are good yeah. for the soul as well. But, mm-hmm. you know, people in New York sometimes, like, mm-hmm. they don't have a partner. They don't want to bring a child into the world alone. So they have a dog, someone they can nurture and baby right? who's a part of their family. And you just, they come, you come home to a dog at the end of the day and you're their world. They yeah. just, like, can't wait to just be with you. Yeah. And just for you. Not, not for any instrumental reason. Just, like... You're enough. <laughs> yes. That's funny because I had two friends who got married and uh, the bride's vows included, I want to help you become the man the dogs think you are. Hmm, that's yeah, good. Which I thought was that's amazing. Good. If only we could all become the, the, the people that our the, dogs expect dogs. us to be. He's dogs make perfect. us better. No, that's a good point. So philosophy makes us better. It does. And there's you go back to what you call the foundations in mm. literature and philosophy mm-hmm. and I wish that people would read more philosophy because they have the sense, and, and I blame a lot of philosophy professors for this. I really blame philosophy TAs for this Perfect. because they make it seem incredibly difficult and like an impossible mm-hmm. language that mm-hmm. you have to be so smart to mm-hmm. decode. And it is not like that at all, particularly when you're dealing 
with, you know, platonic Socratic Mm -hmm. dialogues. Mm -hmm. One intellectual um, mentor of mine who died 2000 years ago is Cicero. Mm. He was not, I think he'd call himself like an an original thinker or genius, but his genius lay in non-original thought, but in taking the ideas of of Plato and Aristotle and translating it literally from from Greek to Latin, but Mm -hmm. also culturally taking these ideas and making it relevant to his ancient Rome, fellow Romans. And so we have Aristotle and Cicero today because Cicero sat down, like spent time with these ideas, mm-hmm. meta- like let them metabolize in his in his mind, percolate, mm-hmm. and then he regurgitated them in a way that made sense to his fellow Romans. And that's what I did. I, you know, had one foot in timeless ideas and timeless texts the entire time I was writing this book. I wanted to be. I wanted. I wanted to create a timeless work. And how do you create a timeless work? You immerse yourself in timeless works. How long did that take? Uh, my whole life. Yeah. <laughs> this this is the product of went, a decade of work. You went back and, and rediscovered things right. that of, you yeah. had read, and they had to have resonated with of you course. differently. It's true as an adult and as a mother. And that's what a great work is. You yeah. know that. Like it's you. You can return to it um, at any point in your life, and you get something new because you bring something new to it. We change, mm-hmm. and these works change with us, and they help us. They help us grow. Um, you know. You, you know this. That Socrates said that that uh, virtue is is health of the soul. Like mm-hmm. and and that ph- and that philosophers are phys- physicians of the soul. Yeah. I, I call myself a student of history, a student of philosophy. I'm a philosopher in the literal sense. Like I love wisdom. Like mm-hmm. I, that's what philosophy yes, is. And I, love of wisdom. and and I, I I hope that I present this winsome case, not just for the ideas, but in the way and the sources I draw from. That these are sources that um, we should all draw from to help us be thinking more clearly about many of the challenges uh, today. I mean, I wish, and and you know, when I first heard about your book, before I heard you speak, and before I started reading it. You know, I, I try and find ways of talking to people mm-hmm. I disagree with. And, you know, I, one of the things is you find common ground. Mm-hmm. And when I became a mom, mm-hmm. like, I I really connected with women and with parents mm-hmm. on that level of having your heart live outside of your body mm-hmm. and being protective. And you, you have to be optimistic mm-hmm. as a parent. You You have to hope and help realize the world will be better for your children than maybe it has been for you. And and that is really our job. But so that is one of the universals that that I've connected with people. Don't go anywhere. More Kennedy saves the world right after this. Precise, personal, powerful. It's America's weather team in the palm of your hands. Get Fox weather updates throughout your busy day every day. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. But... If you're not a parent, you've been parented, mm. you know, and if, if you're not a parent, you're probably a caregiver mm. to someone else in your family. So there are so many things that connect us, but there are people who are dead set mm-hmm. on no matter what their issue is. If you diverge from that mm-hmm. minutely, mm-hmm. you are not worthy of contemplation. You are not worthy of curiosity. Mm-hmm. You are not worthy of grace. Mm-hmm. You have made yourself the enemy. Mm -hmm. And I look at that and it's so quick for some people to make that leap that we need civility so desperately. Mm. We need a way to talk to each other and bridge those, those self-created chasms. That's one thing I hope that my book helps us do better is see that we have much more in common as human beings, as citizens than which divide us. And we live in this age of absolute certainty where we are just so sure that we know all the answers about everything. And like to your point, anyone who differs with you on one thing, we use that as a shortcut 
you know, we know, we know everything there is to know about you and you're, mm-hmm. you're good or bad or irredeemable. And, you know, you're, you're on my side or you're the, the other side. And, and if you're on the other side, then I can't be associated with you. Yeah. Uh, but what does it look like to unbundle people and see, see, see them for the fullness of who they are, that their political belief on one issue or who they voted for or their race or where they live or these one, one these are just parts of who we are. Mm-hmm. They're not the sum total of who we are. And how do we see even mistakes people make, even even hurtful things that people do to us sometimes? Mm-hmm. How do we not let that one part represent the whole and see instead that the, the, the gift of being human, the dignity and, the, and, um, and personhood of the other. That yeah. matters far more than these than these smaller well, things. Well, and also the redeemability. Mm-hmm. Yes. But, you know, it's, you make such a good point, which is lost on people who are so entrenched, particularly on one issue, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. a lot of times it's something political. Mm-hmm. But it, it's such a narrow definition that it's almost impossible for everyone to, you know, exist within your trench mm-hmm. and and to meet your narrow definition we all have our sacred cows yeah. and no one's going to perfectly align with us and that's that like to expect people to be agree with us and everything like the diversity is the spice of life is is, is very real yes. it, it, it's not interesting to just be in an echo chamber and and to not be challenged as human beings as human beings we we crave challenge we crave growth like mm-hmm. watching my three-year-old and my one and a half year old just climb up on rocks and jump off like they're trying to test their boundaries and they're and they want to grow Roll. Well, they also think they might be able to fly. <laughs> That's right. And they have to learn that they can't, hopefully by jumping off of a small vicinity before <laughs> something bigger. Yeah. But we crave that. And and if we're not growing, we're atrophying. And I think that this age of moral certainty that we find ourselves in, people are atrophying, like intellectually and psychologically, where they're just, you're, they're just you like... You can see you it. Can, I think so. I mean, you can see it every day when, when someone like... It's such... And, and I, I want you to address this because it's such a backward culture hmm. when... You could be a good person working at a Lululemon and someone comes in God bless with a, a giant garbage bag and just starts filling it up. You are supposed to sit back and let that person just pilfer everything in the hmm. store, not call the police, not make an issue. Hmm. But it, it violates everything within you because, hmm. you know, for those of us who believe that there is the natural right of private property, that person is taking that private property and violating that natural law, that axiom. And it's wrong, but it's Mm. like that, that is a symptom of cultural atrophy Mm. right there. It's like, Oh yeah, well there you go. That's just, that's just what people are doing. So we just got to let them do it. It's like, no, people have created organized crime Mm -hmm. theft rings Mm -hmm. in order to support that. Mm -hmm. Just hoping that there are people Naive enough to go, yeah, let's let's just let them do it because they just need their space to feel It's a great stuff. point because civility, as I as I define it, it demands action sometimes. It both demands action, but then it takes certain action off the table. So it demands action when, for example, you know, you, uh, you ask your husband, how does this dress look on me? And he tells you the honest answer, like, that's not the best, you know, or you, he tells you you have something in your teeth, like that's that, that or, um, you know, sometimes the duty of citizenship requires taking action. Mm-hmm. Our country was founded on protest. And there's this rich tradition of civil disobedience in this country that sometimes loving country and loving our fellow citizens requires standing up to them and saying, look, there is an, an injustice here. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to confront you with the injustice by standing in the streets, by participating in a sit-in. So again, um, civility both requires action. Sometimes that's actually what loving someone, what respecting someone demands, Mm -hmm. but it also takes certain actions off the table. For example, violence, for example, theft, for Mm -hmm. example, um, ad hominem 
attacks. So, you know, in the example you just gave of someone pill- pillaging with lemon, like it's not loving someone to coddle them in something that's actually, you know, and Socrates would say this, harming their soul. Yes. You know, like yes. if you see someone doing something wrong, like it, to, to, not let, to not let them know, like, hey, that's actually, that's not good for society and it's not good for you either. That's not loving them. So Socrates says that no man can knowingly harm himself. Hmm. Do you agree with that? Yeah, it's it's such a great point, and I, I draw from Socrates uh, via Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Mm-hmm. on the on my idea of of what civility, what true civility is. We hear we have a lot of apocalyptic and rhetoric. That was that was the impetus for you writing this book was having a weekend mm-hmm. where you had a retreat mm-hmm. talking about Dr. King's ideas on civility. That's right. His letter from Birmingham jail. Exactly. And so um, Dr. King says that the, and he's boring from Socrates in this and the idea, but he says segregation is wrong in his letter because it's mutually harmful. Like it hurts both the person whom you're segregating and the person who's doing the segregation because it, it deforms them, their soul. It gives them a false sense of superiority that is deforming to their their, their soul. So, um, and he says that, um, um, that conversely, and I say the same is true for incivility, that when we're cruel to others, it's mutually harmful, but being good and kind and, and, you know, welcoming and having people into your home and, and ushering people onto your front porch, that's mutually ennobling. It, it benefits everyone involved. It makes us more human and more humane. Yes. Um, and this is, this is exactly what Socrates says about, um, about vice, that vice is sickness of the soul. So when we see someone acting viciously towards others, they don't deserve our our disdain, our hatred. They deserve our empathy because they are sick. They are sick people. Uh, they have a sickness of the soul. Whereas people who we hear a lot today that nice guys finish last, mm-hmm. and you're not going to get ahead if you're not willing to be the strong man and the bully. And you, we hear that the stakes are too high to to be decent to the other yeah. side. They're too bad. The stakes are too high, and the other side is too bad to be decent for them. But Socrates and Dr. King would say, um, you know, what is what is your end? What is what is the actual victory? If it comes at the cost of of the health of your own soul, so how do we how do we heal our souls? I mean, <laughs> read my book. Read my book. Buy the book. Like soul yeah. is in the title. All like that to, was all... that was something that 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 Socrates talked about constantly. Was was the right. soul and the health of the soul? And you know, maybe to borrow from Ayn Rand, maybe there is a collective soul. Like maybe we've done so much harm collectively as a culture mm-hmm. that. You know, do we just hope and pray that one person at a time heals or is there some larger force that is necessary? It starts in the small ways, like this, the small ways that we sow seeds of grace and love and trust in the world. That makes our world better and more brighter and it makes us better and more brighter. Sometimes when I am in a bad mood, I feel tempted to like, you know, flip people be, off be in snap, traffic. Yeah, snap at my husband I've or, you know, it. be short at my, you know, children and, or yell at a customer service person. And I realize, and this is kind of a recent, I'm on, I'm on this journey. I hope that that came through that this is not me from on high saying I've got it all figured out. Like I very much, I'm like, a work in progress. No, and, I, and many. I, I get that sense. <laughs> I mean, so, that's, but that's why yeah. the book resonates. <laughs> and so, and I, one, one recent insight I've had is like, actually being kind to others, that is 
a deep kindness to myself. Mm-hmm. Because when we're cruel to others, it makes us makes me feel like disgusting. Yeah, it, it ruins and your day. Okay, it's it like, puts why you, did it I puts you in a bad that? mood. Yeah. That's right. And so there's this cliche that hurt people hurt people. But at a very real sense, when you see people out there just being un, unduly malicious, yeah, for no it's like reason. There, there is woundedness there. Yes. And that has nothing to do with you. And we're not very good at a society or as people at telling those stories of exoneration. Mm-hmm. We tell instead stories of condemnation. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you've done this inconsiderate thing. You are a bad person like goodbye yeah. you know but instead saying wow what happened what might have happened in your morning or what's going on in, your- in that person's life right now yeah that that inf- that got them here we're not i'm not very good at that yeah, like, my i'm mom really would, really struggle my with mom that. would always <laughs> say that like you never know you what never kind know. of day someone it's had so true like you, so you true. never know what home they're leaving right. or the feelings they wake mm-hmm. up with so mm-hmm. try not to judge people right too harshly and it's like you know people can judge us on our worst day mm-hmm. as though that's a snapshot of our entire lives you know our entire being and it's like it's not but we we've hopefully we will rediscover grace hopefully i i really you know it's like every time someone's canceled i'm always like okay mm-hmm. take a step back here mm-hmm. is this are we overreacting to something and, and what is the vengeance that we're feeding and ruining someone's life and you know, Christ said, he who is without sin cast the first stone. Like, like that, that sort of vindictiveness, like that, that, that doesn't, doesn't just want to have someone atone for their, their, their sin, their misdue, but destroy them. Like yeah. that, that, that assumes that we've never made mistakes before, right? Like why we, we should have the same logic for others as, as we would want to have for our, ourselves in that very basic way. Do we, like you just said, do we want to be judged by our worst moment mm-hmm. and have our moment of weakness be broadcasted all over the world and like be, be judged by that? You know, but no, of course not. So why why do we do that? Do that to others? It's it's ruthless. We're yeah. we're incredibly um, we're we're ruthless when yeah. it comes to when it comes to that. Well, I am I'm very optimistic because the the pendulum has swung so far out of balance hmm. that I'm I'm really truly hopeful that goodness will prevail. Good hmm. people will stick together, mm-hmm. and civility will be the next swing of the pendulum. I just hope we stay in that. I I'm very optimistic that 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 moment is upon us and i just hope we stay in it for a generation and change is happening at the margins like at the small micro local level and that there's actually power in that like talk about spontaneous like organic order thank you like, Adam people Smith. yes thank you <laughs> but but people are um seeing the brokenness yeah. in our world and culture, and they're dissatisfied with it, and they're they they recognize that we can't leave it to our public leaders. This is not a this is not a political issue. This is a social and cultural issue. Yeah, absolutely. And so the no, no you know, it's not like one person, the next person who's president, even if, even if he's the perfect president, right? Like he can't he can't fix he or she can't yeah. fix this We're issue. We're not going to have a philosopher <laughs> exactly, king. Exactly, but but people are doing that. Like it's at, at the local level, at the organic, the voluntary yeah. level. There's power in that. So I hope that that's something that your listeners should, and if they read this book, can take away. We have way more agency and more yeah. power and, to and be part I hope, of the solution. I hope people do read the book. Thank and you. because there there are so many philosophical and literary references uh, that you know even if people are interfacing for the first time with them, look at this <laughs> the soul of civility. Look, Alexandra Hudson is uh, phenomenal. You are a great thinker, Thank you. a wonderful writer. Thank so you. much time and thought have gone into this book, and it is just desperately needed. Even Jonathan hates that it's on the cover. Beautifully written and meditative. <laughs> And uh, there is much to meditate on here. Thank so, you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me, Kenny. Yes. We're saving the world. <laughs> yes, you are. Yes, You're you doing are. it with this book. <laughs> we need it so badly. All right. This has been Kennedy Saves the World. This is Alexandra Hudson. I'm Kennedy. 
Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts and Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. Oh, go ahead and leave me a review while you're there. I'd love to hear what you have to say. You've been listening to Kennedy Saves the World on the Fox News Podcast Network. Put the power of over 100 meteorologists and the worldwide resources of Fox in your hands with the Fox Weather Podcast. Precise, personal, powerful. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.